The following content contains some explicit language that might not be suitable for children or Mormons. Hello, it's Saturday. This is a show, therefore, let's do the math. I always try not to say let's do the math. Let's do the botany. You know, plants, Gregor Mendel, gene splicing, and so forth. What I'm saying is it's the Saturday show. This week, I was riveted by what Los Angeles was riven by, which is the leaked audio recordings of three city council members and a labor union engaging in very nasty talk. And I did a couple of spiels on it, but I'm going to replay as my best of the week segment, Tuesday's spiel, which had a lot of sound from the city council chamber, the demands to resign, some talk of uh, butts and scratching. And for the best of all time, the very best, I take you back to 2017, where I do a spiel about Dianne Feinstein not getting the endorsement of California Democrats. It didn't really matter in terms of her reelection or how California works its primary system. But California Democrats, the Democratic Party, were mad, angered at Dianne Feinstein not being sufficiently anti-Trump and for some other reasons. And so they instead favored her most prominent opponent. I just wonder, I listened to this spiel again. I remember doing it. I remember my basic point, which is she's an extremely powerful senator. You don't just throw that away. And while she is more moderate than the electorate, that doesn't mean she's wrong or won't represent their interests well. I was wondering how the spiel aged. Sometimes this happens. Because to consider how the spiel aged, you have to consider how has Dianne Feinstein aged. And the answer is not well, uh, not to cast aspersions. She is just far, far, far less sharp than she was. And also, you could plausibly argue that she is less sharp than she needs to be. But still, I play you this tape because it's about California politics to examine if the arguments aged well, and also consider this, like Joe Biden, a guy whose cognitive decline has been charted by many, like Joe Biden says, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. So this was just a reference, a passing reference in the spiel, but I will highlight it here. Remember this entire season of tumult, the, the feelings of anger at Dianne Feinstein. How did they express themselves? California Democrats voted for her most prominent opponent in their state party convention. He lost by a million votes in the general election, but still it was this man that was their champion, their tribune, their avatar. His name was Kevin DeLeon, one of the three Democrats city council people caught on tape. All right. Enjoy those two segments. There are over 90,000 people missing at any time, and over half a million are reported missing every year. And that's just in the United States. 
I'm Mike Morford. And I'm Jess Betancourt. And in our podcast, Missing Persons, we discuss cases of people who have gone missing under mysterious circumstances. And we're joined in each episode by guests who are either related to the missing person, investigating their disappearance, or advocating for answers in the case. Missing Persons is available everywhere you listen to podcasts, and there are dozens of episodes to binge on right now. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. And now the spiel. In a political development, both surprising and expected, both potentially earth-shaking and de rigueur, both upsetting and understandable, California Democrats have rejected Dianne Feinstein as their Senate nominee. Whoa, whoa, what? Yeah, a little bit of context here. There was a convention over the weekend, and to be the official Democratic nominee, to be the one who gets that check mark on the ballot, you needed 60% of the vote, and Feinstein didn't get there. In fact, she came in a distant second place. State Senate leader Kevin DeLeon got 54% of the vote and Feinstein only 37. So what does that mean? Well, according to the LA Times, California Democrat snub of party icon Dianne Feinstein could be a speed bump or a signal. A speed bump or a signal. Or maybe a signal before a speed bump, like speed bump ahead. Or if the signal... Where a yellow light, it means slow down, which is pretty much the visual equivalent of a speed bump. So what I'm saying is I'm a little nonplussed. Here's the deal in practical political terms. Feinstein will probably get reelected for a fifth term. The ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, former chair of the Intel Committee, is now 85 years old, but she has a ton of cash. She has name recognition, and she has been serving in office since the 70s. But liberal activists who make up the Democratic Party are kind of sick of her, and I think that's a little bit sad. Their first bill of particulars against Feinstein is that 25 years ago, she had some imperfect votes. She voted for the Clinton crime bill, which in real life was a signature bipartisan piece of legislation that addressed an extremely anxious public's worry about crime. Let me make an analogy to today. The public is extremely anxious about school shooters. Today, the government is not addressing it. I think we can all agree that is dysfunctional. Back in 1994, the government did address it, and that was functional. But now, today, when we look back, since a consequence of that crime bill was building more prisons, that bill is seen as a progenitor of mass incarceration. So if you were among the vast majority of legislators addressing the concerns of your electorate, like a legislator is supposed to do in 1984, you did a good job, but today you're kind of a racist. Look, now, I'm not, I'm not being even-handed. I will admit that. But I do believe pretty much in what, what I just said and how I just said it. Now, Feinstein's part of the crime bill back in 1994 was to vote for it, but also she was the author of the assault weapons ban. Why? Why has she, in fact, been a leading voice on gun control for these last five decades? It's because of how she became mayor of San Francisco. It was when then-mayor George Moscone and supervisor Harvey Milk were assassinated. It took me about six years into my mayorality to be able to sit in the chair where George Moscone was sitting when he was shot and killed. Um, as many of you know, I was the one that found Harvey's body and tried to get a pulse and put my finger into a bullet hole when he tried to shield himself. Feinstein also escaped an assassination attempt specifically against her via bomb. And beyond becoming a highly successful mayor and then one of the most powerful senators, you know, without her, we might not have ever had a full accounting of Abu Ghraib. 
she lays claim to the following distinction. I think you can make the case that Dianne Feinstein is the most powerful woman in U.S. history. Maybe it's Nancy Pelosi. Maybe it's Eleanor Roosevelt. Maybe it's one of our female Supreme Court justices. But a powerful senator with lots of tenure from the largest state who's got a lot done. Most powerful woman ever in American history might just be Dianne Feinstein. But what have you done for me lately, the voters of California say, or at least the Democrats do? And that's fair. That's a fair question. You know, she is more moderate on a lot of policies than they are. What is not fair is what they're most upset about. The clip I just played where she was asked uh, by an audience member at a talk about uh, becoming mayor after the assassinations, that was from a Commonwealth Club of California discussion. And in that talk, she answered this question, which was put to her from the moderator, former Representative Ellen Tauscher. Someone in the crowd asked it, and here is the question. At what point do you think the Republican leaders will definitively turn against President Trump? (laughs) They're a little late by my watch. Criticize him publicly and urge his resignation or impeachment. Well... So before we hear Feinstein's answer, realize this. Dianne Feinstein is an important voice on the Intel Committee and the Judiciary Committee. And both are looking at aspects of Russian meddling and the firing of James Comey. The question was asked last August. It would be senatorial malpractice to tip one's hand about impeachment if you were in Dianne Feinstein's position. Or to come out guns blazing before the evidence is in. You would never do that if you were in Dianne Feinstein's position. But Dianne Feinstein is in Dianne Feinstein's position. And this is what Dianne Feinstein said. I will play the whole response. It goes on for about a minute. Um, I'd really rather not comment. (laughs) However, I think, um, you know, you all know impeachment, and the House brings the impeachment, and then the Senate sits as a court and votes. At the end, it's a, there's a trial in front of the Senate, and um, kind of been there, done that. It's not. Yeah, we've both done that. Not the greatest thing in the world, that's for sure. Um, look. This man is going to be president, most likely for the rest of this term. I just hope he has the ability to learn and to change. And if he does, he can be a good president. And that's my hope. Um, I have my own personal feelings about it. Yeah, I understand how you feel. I understand how you feel. Many liberal activists in California did not understand. Next day's headline, Senator Dianne Feinstein booed at San Francisco event. That was the Mercury News. San Diego Union Tribune, California Senator Dianne Feinstein, quote, Donald Trump can be a good president. The remark hung around her neck like an albatross. She, elsewhere in the event, laid out vivid criticism of the president's policies on Korea, immigration, global warming. And she also said, you know, compromise is not a dirty word. It's how we get things done. But clearly, that is not the mood of California voters, or at least those who voted in the Democratic State Party convention. It would be worrisome and troubling if ideological purity were a demand of Democrats like it is Republicans. Right now, you could look at the Senate seats occupied by Democrats in states like Colorado, Indiana, Delaware, and Nevada. And you could say, you know, those very plausibly could all be occupied by Republicans except for ideological purity tests in primaries. 
On the other hand, it's not going to happen in California. They have an open primary. So how it works is the top two vote getters from any party will appear on the November ballot. And those names could very well be Feinstein and DeLeon. And if that happens, and if Feinstein wins, she'll have threaded the needle between responsible governance and rousing campaigning. And I think everyone will be a little bit better off. Liberals will have sent a message. They will have felt heard in a democracy. And this lioness of the Senate will know that there is a robust wing of her constituency who will not let her tack to the center. And there's even a scenario I have heard laid out where not having a Republican on the Senate ballot will hurt Republicans in House races and that could help Democrats overall. Or it could all be a huge disaster with some charismatic Republican stepping in and winning what was once thought of as a safe Senate seat. Who knows? And that is the state of politics in 2018, where one intemperate sentence in 2017, if it relates to Donald Trump, can counter 40 years of public service. And now the spiel. The following people and parties called for the resignation of three Los Angeles city council members caught on tape disparaging the race, ethnicities, and masculinity of their fellow council members and their children. They are the LA Times Mayor Eric Garcetti, both candidates for LA Mayor President Joe Biden, Maxine Waters, Adam Schiff, every Democratic member of the congressional delegation that I'm aware of, every single other member of the LA City Council, including Heather Hutt, of whom this was said on the leaked recording. The one who will support us is Heather Hutt. Yes. I like Heather Hutt. Hutt will no longer support them. The abandonment of these three officials demonstrates the fact that when a slur squall presents itself, everyone runs for cover. Within the Democratic Party, racist language or sentiments are simply not countenanced, nor is sexual harassment. Republicans often do dig in, playing the media is out to get us card, but a transgressor will have no friends or defenders within Democratic circles if they're guilty of racial insensitivity. Politics is a harsh business, and even if you're a mentor, mentee, blood brother, or sister to a figure beset by a maelstrom, you gotta cut ties. U.S. Senator Alex Padilla is a lifelong friend of former council president Nuri Martinez. They went to high school together. He was among those calling for her resignation. It's all downside for any Democrat who aspires to higher office. And Martinez, De Leon, and Padilla we're not operating under a different impression. In fact, it is the acknowledgement of politics as a sharp-elbowed game that informs most of their discussion caught on tape. You may have heard the three or four most offensive utterances, but the other hour and 20 minutes is spent trying to put preferred candidates in different districts and consolidate the power of the Latino caucus, of which these three are three-quarters of the members on the 15-member city council. It's not to say they were engaged in good governance or even adhering to the spirit of progressive values of representation. On Monday, Fernando Guerra, political scientist at Loyola Marymount University, was on the public radio program Air Talk. 
the idea that uh, that uh, Angelinos that only Los Angeles uh, treats political power this way is absolutely wrong. It's throughout all of America and throughout all of America when they went through the redistricting process, there were limited number of seats, limited amount of resources, and they all fought this way. And by law, you must take race into consideration and have a discussion about race. Of course, not in that manner, but the point is valid. All politics are local and all redistricting politics are local, brutal, and racial, and if not racial, then tribal. As for the specifics of Los Angeles, there, redistricting is overseen by a commission that studies and advises and makes recommendation. The commission fancies itself independent. Only the city council has input as to who is on the commission, and they are the ones who decide whether to adopt the maps put forth by the commission. So the city council, all the city council, knows that redistricting is at the discretion of the councilors. As such, you can hear Martinez, De Leon, and Cedilla, not loftily, not inspiringly, but earnestly discussing their goal of getting more Hispanic representation in this nearly majority Hispanic city. The public arguments they have made many times over the years certainly would not include slurs or laughing at fellow council members, but the basic idea we need to do what we can within the law to increase representation for our people is something they've publicly avowed over and over, and it's also the main topic of discussion on these tapes. 25 years ago, the thing for us is to exercise our power, to get together we are exercise on power. You're right, there's three seats. If you figure out the valley, the seats on this corridor, historic African-American, which I could support one, maybe two, but those are Latino seats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get Fernando Guerra in here. There's 57 out of 60 seats that African-Americans are in are Latino seats. From the Comptons to the Gardenas to the... Even Inglewood, probably. Oh, Inglewood, 100%. Right? In the city, what's current at? 76%? 86. 86. Oh, my God. You can't throw a rock and not hit a Mexican. South Central. 86. In fact, one of the utterances that's considered a slur was not really a slur. It wasn't the most sensitive phrasing, but the three were talking about the representative of the L.A. section known as Koreatown. And Martinez responded to De Leon bringing up Koreatown, or as he called it, K-Town. Yeah, let's go K-Town. Yes. I see a lot of little short, dark people. Yeah, put put Oaxacan. Put Oaxacan Koreans. (laughs) What they're saying is... This is supposed to be Koreatown, but it's really Latino town, specifically Oaxacans, who the members caught on tape are saying need a Latino representative to champion their interests. They're not mocking small brown people. I mean, maybe they are, but not for being Latino or for being smaller brown. They're pointing out that these people don't seem to them to be Korean, which is to say these people, the Oaxacans, are our people. They are saying it insensitively, of course. The tenor of the conversation and the substance was criticized by council member Nithya Raman, who is the current representative of Koreatown. She is not Latina. She is not Korean. And according to Cedillo Martinez and De Leon, she is insufficiently loyal to the three of them. Raman made this point on AirTalk on KPCC. What we heard on those con- in that conversation was not a conversation that was made in good faith about advancing Latino power. 
The faith might not have been good. The knuckles may have been bare, but the concerns are real. And anyone could hear it who listened to the recording, all the recording. These were three council members who were earnestly, bluntly, and offensively attempting to get their people more representation and to get themselves more power. But that's not a downside of politics. That is politics. Aside for calls of resignation, there is another call that will have more long-lasting effect. And that is one that doesn't strip the council of whatever Latino representation it does have if three of their four current Hispanic members were to resign. The idea is real redistricting reform with teeth. So there's no point to getting into a closed room to try to carve up the city for political gain and tempting yourself by saying nasty things about six-year-olds. And political gain isn't a dirty word or a dirty phrase. It doesn't have to be personal gain. It needn't be racist. can actually advance the interests of voters. None of that was going on in the dirty old system, a system that it should be pointed out will still be in place even if these particular people are pushed out. And that's it for this, the Saturday show. Joel Patterson is the senior producer of The Gist and Corey War is the assistant producer. And I shall speak with you on Monday. Toto? feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.